The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Well, Matthew chapter 12 is where we're going to be, and we're going to finish up what we started last week. And uh, we're, uh, the passage is kind of, like I said uh, last week, it's been probably troublesome to more people than any other passage in Scripture, and honestly, it's probably not that popular of the subject. And uh, anytime you talk about uh, any kind of doctrinal issues or things like that, sometimes you lose folks. Uh, but I think it's important, and we've kind of, throughout the summer months, we kind of talked about Satan, we talked about the full armor of God, and we talked about how can we know we're saved, and we've kind of stayed with that theme, and uh, to me, this is kind of a good a good place to, to bring it all to a close, because I think uh, Satan can use our doubts sometimes and our fears sometimes to keep us from being where we need to be spiritually. And in, in Matthew chapter 12, also in Mark three twenty eight and 29, and Luke twelve ten, Jesus uh, teaches on this same subject that we kind of call the unforgivable or unpardonable sin, unforgivable sin. And we're going to look at that this morning. We're going to look at the second part, and we'll just quickly review what we talked about last week. But if you're there in Matthew chapter 12, start in verse 22, uh, they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished, and they said, could this be the son of David, or could this be the Messiah? Now, the Pharisees, who of course have denied that Christ is the Messiah from the very beginning, uh... They heard this. They heard the crowd. They heard there's a large multitude of people, and there's a murmuring starting. Hey, this is this is the Messiah. This could be the Messiah. But when the the Pharisees heard this, they said, "No, it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons." And they uh, we talked about this week the 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 Lord of the Flies or the Lord of Filth. They called Christ at that point, and. Uh, it says in verse 25, now they're not talking to Jesus, but Jesus knows their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against himself will not stand. And if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you do your people drive them out? So uh, we talked about this last week. He he kind of begins to ask them some questions, and uh, uh, verse twenty eight he says, "But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you." Which he says, "I am the guy you've been looking for right there." He says, "The Spirit of God is here. The Spirit has come upon you." Or or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house? And carry off his possessions unless the first, unless first he ties up the strong man, and then he can rob his house. And who is the strong man? And that's Satan. Uh, and he explains that. And we talked about that, or I explained that last week. And then he says in verse thirty, "He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters." And of course, he's talking to the the Pharisees there. We're going to start in verse thirty-one this morning. Uh, but last week we looked quickly at some of the things and kind of the background for this teaching is where Jesus was at and, and he's, he's performed a miracle and we looked at that miracle that he performed and then we start seeing the reaction of the Pharisees and hey, they accuse him of being uh, the Lord of the flies or the Lord of filth and working for Satan and 
Jesus responds to this, and he, he charges the Pharisees with a couple of, of different things. He says, first, that's illogical, and then he puts the logic out behind his teaching, and he explains that to them. Then he, he, he charges them with being inconsistent. He says, you, you claim that you cast out demons, and uh, if you cast out demons, then uh, who, who are you casting them out by? And he, uh, he says, so you're logical, you're inconsistent, and then he draws this conclusion uh, and he gives them a short parable about someone entering a strong man's house. And I'm not going to go through all that. You can go back on the Internet and listen to that. And then he says, he warns them that they can't be neutral. You're either for me or you're against me. And uh, as he ends kind of that part of his teaching, uh, remember the Pharisees he's talking to. He says, you're either for me and you're gathering for me or you're against me and you're scattering from me. You can't ride the fence. And then in verse 31 and 32, he talks about the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin that so many people have heard of and I, some people are, are scared of or terrified about. He says to the Pharisees, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be given for men, or will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And anyone, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age <clears throat> or the age to come. So what I want to do this morning, I want to just uh, finish up talking about what this teaching is about and what it really means. In verse 31, Jesus begins, I don't know what translation of Scripture you're using, but it may say wherefore, it may say therefore, it may say my NIV says, and so I tell you. What that really means is based on all of this evidence. So Jesus starts in verse 31. When we read it, it just reads straight through. But He changes that one word and says, Based on all this evidence that I've just told you, all the things that we've just talked about, and then what follows has probably, like I said, become one of the most misunderstood uh, and feared passages in the Bible. And, and he begins to teach, even many of unchurched people have heard of this warning. But really, it's one of the most wonderful passages of Scripture we have because there's a beautiful truth there that all sins can be forgiven and all blasphemies can be forgiven. And that's a great truth for us to understand that, that there's no sin too great for God to forgive. If you read that passage again, he says that every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men. So that's good news for us today. But he mentions one thing that people hang up on or people get uh, confused about. And, and he says, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It'll not be forgiven this age or the age to come. So what I want us to do is look at what he's talking about in that passage of Scripture. So what the unforgivable sin is not. That's what I first want us to look at. The What the unforgivable sin is not. So before we examine the one thing that can't be forgiven, I want us to think about these things that, that the Bible does not say are the unpardonable sin. Now here's the problem. People come up with their own ideals, and people come up with this, this thing of thinking, well, uh, God's not going to forgive that, and God's not going to forgive this. The problem with that is that's, that's their own opinion. And sometimes people go to this 1 John 5, 16, and, and they, they talk about this sin that leads to death. And, and I want you to understand the unforgivable sin is not 
the sin that leads to death that's talked about in 1 John 5, 16. The sin unto death is kind of the climax of a Christian life. And, and throughout that Christian life, someone has repeatedly resisted the, the, the chastising, the, the, the correction of the Lord. In other words, they're, they've, they've accepted Christ, and, and after they accepted Christ, they've, they've, they've just repeatedly rejected what God's had for them. They've, they've repeatedly turned their back on God. They've, they've repeatedly, we would say they've just repeatedly been a backslider. That's kind of the word we might use today. And, and that sin there is a sin that leads to death. That's what, that's what John's talking about. The unpardonable sin leads to spiritual death. Now that's the key right there. The unpardonable sin leads to spiritual death. The, the, the sin unto death leads to physical death. Now, over in 1 Corinthians 11.30, we're not going to go read that, but Paul is talking about this particular sin right here. He's talking about the Lord's Supper, and he's talking about how people had turned their back on Christ and they quit following His teachings, and he says, that's why many of you are sick, and that's why many of you have fallen asleep. He's talking about that, that physical death that comes because of Christians constantly resisting the Holy Spirit of God. That's, that's the sin that leads to death. Now, that doesn't mean that person is going to go to hell because once we've accepted Christ, that, that part of our concern should be gone. If we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, we have a home in heaven forever. Now, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us and convict us and come upon us and lead us. And that doesn't mean that there comes a point in our life when Christ says, okay, if you're not going to do anything else, there's a sin that leads even to death. But that's not the unforgivable sin. There are several more examples that come to mind that that people think of these may be unpardonable sins. The, the, The unforgivable sin is not murder. Now, there's examples in the Bible of people that have committed murder that were still great Christians. Remember Moses? You know, Moses, one of the patriarchs, he, he murdered a man, but that wasn't an unforgivable sin. Even the Apostle Paul, remember what he was doing? He was going around murdering Christians until the Lord came and, and until the Lord convicted him and he, he repented and, and God used Paul in a mighty way. So we need to we need to realize the unforgivable sins not murder the unforgivable sins not sexual immorality or adultery because there's examples of those in the Bible Lot and remember David David was guilty of that King David and and the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart so we need to realize that's that's not the unforgivable sin the unforgivable sin is not denying Christ did you hear that it's not denying Christ who did that in the Bible? Remember Peter? He denied Christ three times. He, he denied he knew Christ. He denied that he was a follower of Christ. He, he denied Christ three times, but that wasn't unforgivable. I love that story. I wish we had time to, to go look at it. But the thing I love about that is Peter returns to his former way of life after he denied Christ three times. And we find in Scripture where Christ came and found Peter. He came and found him and invited him back and Peter repented of his sins and and became a great preacher for Jesus Christ. So that's not the unforgivable sin. Listen closely, folks. The unforgivable sin is not suicide. 
Now, here's where that comes from. A lot of people think that, but here's where that comes from. That comes from the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church holds a view that an individual that commits suicide dies without asking forgiveness of his sin. So if they, they say, if you die without uh, asking forgiveness of your sin, then you're lost. Well, the truth is they assume that, that this person would be in a rational state of mind. If a person commits suicide, they're not in a rational state of mind, so they're confessing their sins wouldn't make sense. That, that would mean any time any person dies with any unconfessed sin in their life, they'd go to hell. If you, if you believe that, that the suicide would have nothing to do with it. Folks, the truth is we're going to have sins in our life that we've never confessed. It's a great idea sometimes just to pray, Lord, reveal to me unconfessed sins in my life. And the Holy Spirit of God will reveal those things. And we confess them to God. And, and once we confess them to God, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from that unrighteousness. But listen, once we accept Jesus Christ, once we become a Christian, we don't have to confess every single sin in order to go to heaven. Isn't that great news? I mean, we don't have to always just walk around wondering, have I, have I have any confessed sins? When we confess our sins, we stay in fellowship with God. Did you hear that? <laughs> when we confess our sins, we're, we're staying in fellowship with God. If we have unconfessed sins in our life, it's hindering that fellowship at some point. We're not walking exactly where God wants us, but you know what? He doesn't leave us or forsake us. We're still His. And, and when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we come to that point and we say, you know what, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I need a Savior. I realize that Jesus died on the cross for me, that His blood covered my sins and that He paid my price. And I ask Him into my heart. At that point, the Bible teaches every sin we've ever committed has been forgiven. And every sin we'll ever commit has been forgiven. And because of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, we're saved and we're covered with the blood of Jesus and nothing will change that. That's good. Good news, folks. So don't take the idea that, hey, if I have unforgiven, if I have unconfessed sin, I must be lost. Because the Bible doesn't teach that. So when we come to that point of our life of thinking what the unforgivable sin is, is not, remember that it, it's not murder, it's not sexual immorality, denying Christ, it's not suicide, it's not having unconfessed sin in our life. When we accept Jesus Christ, we're saved and our name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in indelible ink and nothing's ever going to change that. Isn't that great news today? That's pretty weak, folks. 1 John 1, 7, we read, The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all of our sins. That's the blood of Christ. It cleanses us from all of our sin. The point is that there's no sin that God is unwilling, that God is unable to forgive. The problem is the point in time that we're no longer willing to ask for forgiveness. That's where the problem comes. Now let's deal with that, what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means. Again, look first at what blasphemy is not. Listen to this. It's not cursing the Holy Spirit of God. That's not blasphemy. It's not cursing the Holy Spirit of God. Blasphemy is not taking the Lord's name in vain. It's not. Blasphemy is not calling Jesus demon-possessed. That's what the Pharisees did. That's not blasphemy. Blasphemy is not an ignorant... Blasphemer. In other words, uh, it's not someone that just 
inadvertently says something and all of a sudden you think, oh, that person just blasphemed the Holy Spirit of God. Blasphemy instead is one who, who has heard, he's thought about, and listen, and he rejects the Holy Spirit's loving tugs upon his heart. Now, I want you to hear that because that's the whole message today. It's one who, who has heard, who has thought about, and who has rejected the Holy Spirit of God. I remember several years ago, uh, I mentioned this guy. He's, a, he's in the pornography industry, and the reason I know that is I was watching a special on TV like 2020, and they were interviewing this guy named Larry Flint. And as they were interviewing him, he talked about at one point in his life, he started going to church. And he began to go to church, and he said he began to feel something calling him to God. And he said, I began to feel something, and I, I felt that something was, he didn't say wooing, but he said, I felt something drawing me to God. And they said, well, how did you act upon that? And he said, if you drink enough and take enough pills, you'll quit hearing the voices. Now that right there is one who has heard, who has thought about, and who has rejected the Holy Spirit's loving pull upon his heart. That's a picture of that. Someone that, that felt the Holy Spirit of God and has, has, has denied the drawing of the Spirit of God. That's a great example. If there is no sin that God will not forgive <clears throat> except rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the unpardonable sin. When we reject Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, in a technical sense, one cannot re repeat this sin the way they did in Jesus' day because in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were there attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to Satan. Jesus was in their presence physically. He was performing miracles physically. They were watching Him physically and they were, they were saying His power is from Satan. They were denying the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus is not physically present, so we can't physically uh, uh, do the way that we cannot physically blaspheme the way the, the Pharisees were, but it can be committed in principle because the Pharisees actually were rejecting the Holy Spirit concerning God. We can do in our day, we can reject the Holy Spirit as He calls us, as He woos us. And that's what I want us to think about. Over in John 16, 8 through 11, if you want to turn there, it'll be up on the screen. So the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit are unpardonable sin. It's simply an... One has committed the unpardonable sin who continues to be under the disturbing conviction and drawing power of the Holy Spirit. But when a person has so resisted the Holy Spirit that he strives with him no more, then is he in eternal danger. What he says about the Spirit of God and how he interprets that is, is someone who has heard the Spirit of God calling over and over and over. If you're here today and you think, well, you know, I hope I've never committed the unpardonable sin. You haven't. Because if you have, you wouldn't even be concerned about it. If you had, there would be nothing within you that convicts you. There'd be nothing within you that even raises a question. If you've ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you cannot, you cannot commit the unpardonable sin. So how do you get to this point? How does anyone get to that point in their life? In Exodus chapter 7, chapter 7 all the way through chapter 11, we're not going to read all of those, thank goodness. 
But you remember the story about Pharaoh and Moses? And God sent Moses down to Pharaoh and he said, I want, go, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And over and over and over, the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let God's people go. Again, another plague. Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let his people go. Again, Moses came. Again, Pharaoh hardened his heart. When you get down to the very end of that, Exodus 8, 15, 19, Exodus 32, but in Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, we read, And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, over and over and over and over and over, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. He had, he had God there performing miracles and, and he, he turned his back and he turned his back and he turned his back and he turned his back. And finally God said this, okay, I'm going to harden your heart. That's what you asked for. You've denied me over and over and over and over and over. So no longer did his spirit strive with Pharaoh's spirit. That's why we read that passage there, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. There may be a more modern uh, illustration, the the Nuremberg trials of Nazi war criminals. It said that as those Nazi party leaders, they tried for millions of murders, they were tried. And not one of them ever, ever showed even a hint of remorse. Not one of them ever shed a tear for anything they had done as they thought about millions and millions they had killed. And apparently their moral conscience has just been, had been turned off. I mean, they had came to a point in their life where, where no longer did they have any feeling for anything. And that happens when the Holy Spirit of God strives with our spirit. There's, there's no sin that can't be forgiven that God will not forgive. But there is a deadline in every person's life. Over in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul is writing and he's, he's quoting Isaiah 49, 8. And, and in Isaiah 49, 8, they're talking about looking for the Messiah. They're talking about Christ coming and rescue him. And it says, uh, in an acceptable time, I heard you, they were seeking the Lord, and in the day of salvation, I came and helped you. And behold, now is the acceptable time, and behold, today is the day of salvation. Now, what's Paul talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ was telling the Israelites, I've come, I'm the Messiah, and today's the day of salvation. Now, does that mean this 24-hour period? No, it means while I'm here on earth, this is the day of salvation. And my spirit is going to strive with you because today is the day of salvation. But we need to understand that that, that day is not always going to be here. There's, there's three things. There are three deadlines that, that no longer you have an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit. The first is this, the day of your death. The decision is made before you die where you're going to spend eternity. That's made before you breathe your last breath. The Holy Spirit of God is striving with you and and the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you. And if you deny the Holy Spirit of God and you pass away, at that point you've committed the unpardonable sin. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The second is this, the rapture of the church. There's going to be a day when the, the, the trumpet's going to sound and the church is going to rise and we're going to be gone and we're going to be raptured and we don't have time to go into all of those things. If we say no to Jesus now, you're not going to say yes to Jesus then. Now, we could go look at a lot of scriptures and deal with that. 
the rapture church. And here's the third, and here's the most dangerous, I believe. That's the spurning your day of grace. The day may come when the Holy Spirit of God never testifies with you again against the saving power. Now, you may may say, ah, you're making that up to try to scare us. If you would, turn over to Psalms 95, 6 through 8, because we're going to look at that passage in just a moment. But that day that the the Holy Spirit of God, it it no longer testifies about the saving power of Jesus Christ, because the Bible says in Genesis 6, 3, God's Spirit will not always strive with the spirit of man. In other words, there's going to be a day. So, so here's one thing. If you're worried that you've committed the unpardonable sin, then, then stop worrying because you obviously have not. If you would, like I said, if you had, you wouldn't be worried about it. So if you have no interest in Jesus, no interest in church, no interest in spiritual matters, that would be someone who has committed that or the Holy Spirit of God may be not striving. Remember this, if you're saved you've not committed the unpardonable sin if you've accepted Jesus Christ. And even if you know you're not saved, but you're concerned about it, you've not committed the unpardonable sin. But I do want to caution you, there's a time that the Holy Spirit of God, remember Pharaoh? His spirit stopped striving with Pharaoh, and God said, okay, I'm, uh, I'm going to quit striving with you, and, and God hardened his heart. Psalms 95, 6-8 says, O come, let us worship and bow down, and let us kneel before God our Maker. For He is our God, and we are people of His pasture, and all the sheep of His hand. And today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of strife, as in the day of testing. Now, I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. I want you to think about a couple of things we've talked about. Number one, I I hope you'll leave here today rejoicing that there's no sin that we're going to commit that God is not willing to forgive. What a great word. I want you to know this today. If you're a born-again Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've accepted Him and you've asked Him into your heart, that, that there's no way that you can commit the unpardonable sin. Now, there's a sin that leads to death. Remember, that's when we just continually turn our back on God and turn our back on God and turn our back on We've We've accepted Christ. We, we got our fire insurance, but we're not growing in any way, any means. That's what John's talking about. But that's, that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that's simply this, just never accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The dangers of putting that off when the Holy Spirit of God's dealing with you. Remember Genesis said the Spirit of God will not always drive with the Spirit of man. I'm always amazed when I think about this. When we're in a time of invitation or you're uh, in a Bible study or somebody's giving their testimony and you begin to feel that tug of the Holy Spirit to realize the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of all creation is tugging at your heart. See, God loves you. God sent His Son for you. There had not been anybody else, God would have still sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life. Jesus Christ died our death that we might have His life. Now, the Holy Spirit of God testifies 
with our spirit that Jesus Christ is the Savior. And the Holy Spirit of God, He calls us to repentance. He makes us aware of sin. He, he makes us aware of our need for a Savior. And He gives us an invitation. That's why we have an invitation nearly every Sunday. We, we have a time for, for folks just to come and maybe they need to confess their sins that that fellowship with God would be closer. But maybe they need to come and say, you know what, I, I felt the call of the Spirit today. I felt the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords calling me. And I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That's the invitation of God. That's the, the witness of the Spirit. Join him with our spirit. When the Holy Spirit of God calls us, today is the day of salvation. That doesn't mean it's the last time the Holy Spirit's going to call you, but, but why put off? Why deny him now when you know the, 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 the Lord is calling you? So we're going to have an invitation as soon as we have a word of prayer. In our invitation, it, it says this, I need you every hour, O precious Lord. We need Him every hour. Father, I pray this morning as we think about the truth of Your Word. Father, I know there's folks that, that are worried, that worry, that, that question, that, that forgiving power of God the Father. Lord, I pray today that we'd know there's no sin that we commit this side of heaven that, that You're not willing and ready to forgive simply for us asking, for us to confess, for us to ask your forgiveness. Father, I pray that we'd know today, if we're here today, and we even think about our sin, we even think about the need for a Savior, that your Spirit is still striving with us, with man. And Father, I pray that Christians here today would be armed with the truth of your word that we might be able to share with others that would say, you know, I've passed the point of no return for us to be able to say, oh, no, brother, no, no, sister, you've not passed that point because the Spirit of God's still striving with you or we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Lord, I pray that we'd be armed with your word. We'd be armed with your sword. And Father, I pray now as we have a time of invitation, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move freely within this place, that you would call us into yourself, and Father, we'd respond to your call, to your wooing in this place today. And I pray this in the name of Jesus.